Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. What is maturity to you? That might be kind of a, a tough question, right? Especially if we think about all the different types of maturity. You've got your physical maturity as someone grows, their body changes and develops, right? You've got emotional maturity. My sister Dana tells me that there's a night and day difference in her three-year-old daughter compared to when she was in her terrible twos. Just that one year marked a difference in her, spirit, in her uh, maturity emotionally. Then you have intellectual maturity. And all you uh, students out there will know what that is. The constant process of studying and, and researching and acquiring knowledge through experimentation. But this series we're going to have, Maturity Myths, is we're going to talk about God's measurement of maturity, which is spiritual maturity. And interestingly enough, when our hearts are right spiritually, and when we have spiritual maturity, that affects our attitude on all the other different types of maturity that there is. But to get the process going, I want you to take out your crosswalk notes that you have in your bulletin. And I want you to think, and I want you to write down, what do you think spiritual maturity looks like? There's no right answer. You don't have to hand it in. And, you know, being a student for a long part of my life, I I like to have options. So you can definitely choose option B if you'd like to. So just take a couple seconds and write that down on your sheet just to get yourself thinking. I'll give you a couple seconds to do that. Now I want to take you back to the video clip that you saw. Now I'm sure all of us right away, if I would have told you, hey, you know, if if I told you that a grown man would fake pee his pants, would that be a sign of maturity? I'm sure most of you would say, probably not. That is something that we usually think, you know, that's, that's what little kids do because they're not physically mature, right? I think that when it comes to maturity, what what we do a lot of times is we look straight at the action of people, right? That's what we can see, to see if, if they are mature or not. And it's no different with spiritual maturity. See if any of these questions have ever come up in your mind when you look to see if someone else is spiritually mature. Maybe we say, I wonder how much money they're putting in the offering plate. Or we might say, I wonder how much that person is praying. Is that person involved in a growth group or on a ministry team? Is that person just trying to be a better person? Right? We have all these questions. And a good friend of mine told me about something that he heard that that is quite popular. That if you want to know if someone is spiritually mature, you take a look at two things. Their schedule and their checkbook. To see where their time goes and where their money goes. Now, I'm definitely not saying that those are not good indicators of spiritual maturity. I mean, in fact, God tells us in his word that a lot of those things can be good indicators of someone's 
spiritual heart and spiritual maturity. But the problem is this. The problem is when we only focus on just the action. Take the movie clip. If you just look at what Billy Madison did and didn't look at his heart, why he did it, you would think that it was not a very smart move. But then you take the context. And what did he really do? He went out on the limb for someone else. He loved someone more than himself. And in the end, he saved a little kid from endless embarrassment and mockery by doing something that we might consider immature. Amazingly enough, Billy Madison fake peeing his pants was a sign of his heart. And that's what I want you to remember this whole series. I want you to know this formula, and I've got it down here in your notes. Spiritual maturity begins with the heart. And more than that, what I really mean by that, it begins with your relationship to Christ. What does your heart feel about Jesus? Because you know, there's a lot of nice things that people do out in the world. And there's a lot of people who would consider themselves very spiritual, but have no relationship with Jesus. And God has something to say about those types of actions. He actually says those things that are not connected to someone who believes in Jesus are nothing more than filthy rags, worthless. But when someone is connected to Jesus Christ, their heart is in the right place. And when their heart is in the right place, then positive results and actions follow. So that's the formula. Your heart's in the right place, connected to Christ, and then positive results and actions follow. Remember that formula, this whole series. Now what I want you to do is I want to go through this section of Scripture. And I want you to see if, if you see anything to do with spiritual maturity in this section of Scripture, and it's Maybe a little bit hidden there, but we're going to talk about it. So why don't we put up Acts 2, 1 to 4 up there. All right. Now, right before I read this, I want to let you know that we're going to be addressing a myth each Sunday. And today's myth is one that basically says, I must find a key to spiritual maturity. It kind of goes like this. If I only do blank, then I will be spiritually mature. Have you ever told yourself that? And you can fill that blank in with anything you want. If only I pray more, then I'll be spiritually mature. If only I give more money to church, then I'll be spiritually mature. If only I give up some things, like maybe give up swearing, or I'll give up drinking. Or maybe I'll give up watching movies like Billy Madison. Then I will be spiritually mature. Let's look at what God says spiritually, spiritual maturity looks like. Okay, Right here. It says here, Acts 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
If you're familiar with this account, you might be saying in your mind, Phil, you're sort of an idiot. Out of all accounts in the Bible, the, the one account that might seem to prove that this myth is true is this account of Pentecost. I mean, really, you might say to yourself, look at what happened. you got a bunch of guys who all of a sudden have these little flames on their heads, and they start speaking in foreign languages of their day that they've never learned, and they, they speak it with perfect pronunciation. And then one of the guys, Peter, right after this text, he goes out and he preaches such an amazing sermon that over 3,000 people repent of their sins, are baptized, and come to faith in Jesus. Now, you can't tell me there's no secret key in that. I mean, after all, this happened to Jesus' disciples, his apostles, his buddies, people who were with him. If anyone knew a secret key, it had to be them. And it was a little challenging at first when Jeff said, I I want you to look at this text for this message. But then it all kind of came clear. Because even in this account of Pentecost, we see that there is a formula that God uses to give everyday Christians spiritual maturity. Yes, this was the account of Pentecost. And what Pentecost was, was, well, it means the word 50. It was a celebration that happened 50 days after the Passover. And it was also called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. And God knew that all the apostles would be together on that day celebrating this this event, celebrating Pentecost. So he knew it was the perfect time to continue the story. Because really, the Bible is one giant true story from beginning to end. And just like any story has, it contains the parts of a story. With any story, you begin with a problem, right? And then usually you see a foreshadowing of the solution to the problem. And then there's rising action that culminates to the climax or the turning point. And then you have the resolution or the future events. Where are we going from here? In the Bible, the problem at the very beginning was sin. And even in the book of Genesis, God gives us the foreshadowing of a solution to the problem when he gives us the promise of a savior. And then really the entire Old Testament and part of the New Testament are all rising action that lead up to the culminating point, the climax, which is Jesus' death and resurrection. And Pentecost happens right after this climax, right into the resolution. Now, I'm sure some of you have seen movies or read books that build up to the climax, and then they kind of leave you hanging right after that. When you see a bad movie, how how does that feel? When you get to the the turning point, and then it just kind of leaves you hanging, you don't know where they're going. That's horrible, right? You're kind of like, I wish I never would have read the book. I wish I never would have seen that movie. God knew how important this point was in history. He knew what his future was for his people, and it was the church, meaning all believers on earth. And he knew the future for his people, meaning eternal life. So he wanted to give a definite, unmistakable sign that he was giving his people power. Power to carry out what Jesus had been doing. 
preaching and teaching and helping and serving. He now was giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he did it with a bang. Some miracles happened on Pentecost. The sound of a violent wind rushed in the room. And the Bible tells us it was a sound. We don't know if there necessarily was wind in the room, but it was sounding like it. And then all of a sudden, what seemed to be flames of fire appeared on the guys' heads. And they started speaking in foreign languages of their day without ever learning them. But like I told you before, there is a formula in this account that God uses for us to become spiritually mature every day. Now let's look at our next passage. John 14, 26 says this, But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the apostles weren't speaking these foreign languages because they were such smart guys. But what does it say? That the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit was teaching them how to speak these languages. And when we become spiritually mature, it's the Holy Spirit teaching us what we need to know. And the Holy Spirit reminding us of what we need to know. So that's the first point. That true spiritual maturity only comes from the Holy Spirit. And I talked about how spiritual maturity begins with the heart. So it's really not what we do, essentially, but what God has done for us. And there's a couple mysterious things about the Holy Spirit. I want to to read this next verse here, John 3, 8. It says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Basically saying that we can't contain the Holy Spirit into one place. Sometimes people think that, you know, you're only going to become a Christian in church. That's the only place where the Holy Spirit works. Right here in, in this building. But the fact is that we don't know exactly where the Holy Spirit can work. It could be at your home. It could be in your growth group. It could be at your job. Maybe even over the loud music at a dance club or the cheering fans at a sporting event or over a conversation at a coffee table. And what's more is that we don't know the Holy Spirit's timetable. We can't say, you know, right then and there, the Holy Spirit is going to work. I know this because look at what it says in Acts 1, the last part of the fourth verse. Do not leave Jerusalem But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Jesus is speaking to his disciples about this account of Pentecost. And I bolded the word wait. The apostles didn't know when the Holy Spirit was going to come. They knew that he was going to come, but they didn't know when. They had to wait. And same thing for you and me. We don't know when the Holy Spirit will work. But we do know this, it will be at just the right time. If you look at Pentecost again, God knew that there would be thousands more people in Jerusalem at this day because of the celebration. Thousands more people than usual in the city of Jerusalem. So what a perfect time to have 
the Holy Spirit come and for people to see this. And people from all over the region came, all that spoke different languages. They heard these Galileans speaking their, their native tongue. How, how can that happen? Again, God was using this time to point people to the future. So the fact is that the Holy Spirit works when and where he wants to. Now the next part of how the Holy Spirit works, he gives us a little bit more of a clue, but it's still mysterious in the fact of how he works. Not the when and where, but how. I'm going to read two passages for you. Acts chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, and then right away into Acts chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. The first one says this, In those days Peter stood up among the believers and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. And then this one. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And if you notice, I bolded the word scripture and the word spoken by the prophet Joel. And if you notice, in both of those verses, the word Holy Spirit is there. So you have a reference to scripture, the Bible, in each verses, and you have the Holy Spirit there. Because at Pentecost, it wasn't separate from the word of God. The Bible tells us that the apostles were constantly in the word. They were using it to encourage one another. They were using it to see how they should live their lives. And some biblical scholars even think that here at this account of Pentecost, when it says in our verses for today that they were gathered around, seated together, that that probably means that they were seated listening to someone talk to them about God, listening to someone encourage them and tell them about all these events that had just taken place in the climax of the story. And the same thing for you and I. You and I have the word of God, and that is how the Holy Spirit works. So our next point in B says, the Holy Spirit, HS, I didn't have enough room. Holy Spirit works how he wants to. And he's chosen God's word, the Bible. Let me put it to you like this. I've got this little red car that I like to call Scarlet, okay, because it's kind of like Scarlet Red, and I love this car. I got it when I was in Wisconsin, and, uh, you know, I, I, I can take this car to any gas station in Phoenix. I could pick to, to any gas station I want, right? Hundreds of choices. But let's say I did this. Let's say I went over to this QT up the road, and I pulled up, turned the ignition off, and went to the gas pump, picked up the gas pump, and I scratched my head, and I said, you know what? I, I'm tired of putting gas in my car. You know, I'm, I'm just tired of it all the time. Gas, 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 you know? I wonder if something else could work. Let's see what else they have. And so I go into, go into the convenience store at Quick Trip, you know? It's nice and clean, and the guys behind the counter are working quick, and I love going in there, and all these goodies are before my eyes, and all of a sudden I get this golden deliciousness comes, you know, right here, and I see these Twinkies. I love Twinkies. And I pick up 40 of the Twinkies, and I walk outside, and I unwrap each one, and I start shoving it in the gas tank. You know, cream filling going everywhere, and I'm just, you know, I'm loving it. And then I go into my car, and I turn on the ignition. 
Now, maybe in heaven, cars will run on Twinkies. That would be pretty cool. But we know that on earth, that's not going to work. Cars run on gasoline. You can go anywhere to get filled up, but you need gasoline to put in your car. We run on God's word. The Holy Spirit has chosen. That's the fuel for us. And God's word can be wherever the Bible is. And that's why I said that the Holy Spirit isn't limited to, to one place. That's why I said, hey, at a coffee shop, over a conversation with a friend, God's word can be there and the Holy Spirit can be working. When you're at work and you get one of those emails sent to you that has a devotion, the Holy Spirit is working, giving you spiritual maturity. When you're a father or a mother giving the word of God to your children at home, the Holy Spirit is right there, active and powerful. Even when you go out at the bar, at the dance club, to a sporting event, if God's word is there, even in conversation, even you saying it, that's the neat thing. The Holy Spirit is working. Now I have a confession to make, though. It's something that really gets to me sometimes. On paper, if anyone should be spiritually mature, it should be me. Talk about getting all of this fuel my whole life. The Word of God fed to me all the time. I mean, I grew up with it. From little on, I went to Christian grade school and high school and college. I worked at a Christian high school and now a Christian church. Every day on staff, we have a devotion. When I counsel and I plan for my, my classes that I teach, I'm constantly in God's Word. And whenever I have the chance to do a message, the previous week, I'm in the Bible for hours. And yet, I still find myself struggling with sin. And yet, I still make spiritually dumb, immature decisions sometimes. And sometimes I wake up, and I want this secret key to be there that will once and for all make me be like Jesus, and once and for all will make me walk the walk and talk the talk just like Jesus did perfectly. Because to be honest, there'll, there'll be some weeks where I feel like I'm doing pretty good. My thoughts, words, and actions seem to be what a spiritually mature person would think, do, and say. And then the very next week, I take verbal shots at my family. And I think mean thoughts about another person. And I lie. And I brag. And I make excuses for all of those reasons. Do you relate to me a little bit? Are there times where you tell yourself, why am I not more spiritually mature? Why don't I just have it all together? What is wrong with me? I want to point you to a couple verses and a couple thoughts that help me out. Here, John 14, 26 says this. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
Now, I showed this verse before, but this time I bolded the word remind. Now, don't you think that the apostles should have known everything already? They were with Jesus all the time. But yet Jesus knew that they needed someone to teach them, someone to remind them constantly. And you and I need that reminder. We need a reminder of two things. First of all, we need a reminder about our condition, that we are born broken. And we're born into a dying world. However, the second point we need to be reminded is that God loves us. Is that Jesus has given us forgiveness. We need to constantly be reminded that. That although we're imperfect, Jesus was perfect for us. Now in the past month, You've seen a lot of different guys up here, haven't you? And I'm probably along the same lines with you. I connect with certain speakers differently. There's some people up here that I feel like, man, I really listen to them well. I like their style. I like their, the way that they preach. I like the, the way their voice sounds. And to be honest, last week with Pastor Dan, I connected with him very well. And I know a lot of you did too. But what about this? I guarantee that any person that is up here speaking, giving the message, will always say the name Jesus Christ. Because you need to be reminded, and I, whoever is up here, need to be reminded what that name means. And that name means complete and utter forgiveness. That name means that you have someone on your side that will never forsake you. Someone on your side that will never abandon you. And we need that reminder. I mean, after all, speaking of reminders, let's look here at our next verse. John 16, 29 to 31. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. Remind you, these these were guys that had been with him for years. You believe at last. And let's pull out one example. The apostle Peter, who Jesus was speaking to. Here it seems like finally Peter had spiritual maturity, right? You believe it last, Peter. And then just a little bit later, we find Peter denying Jesus three times, almost coming to an ultimate low in spiritual maturity, denying that Jesus even existed. I have nothing to do with this man. And he called on curses upon himself. A low. And then we see Peter here at Pentecost, right after this text that we have, And he gets up, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he preaches such an amazing sermon that over 3,000 people repent of their sins. And we all know how hard it is to call someone on a sin, right? Peter did it so that people actually said, you know, you're right. And they were baptized, and they came to believe. Spiritual high. And then if you keep on reading later, 
in the New Testament, we see that God has to kind of teach Peter again and remind him again that the gospel message is for all people. Because Peter was kind of thinking, well, you know, it, it's kind of just for this one section of people, just for the Jews. So God had to give him a vision, had to give him a dream and tell him, you know, God doesn't show favoritism on people, and the gospel message is for everyone. Peter had to be reminded again. Now, I want to walk over here to the whiteboard, and I'll try to, try to move it so that you guys can see it. It's a little better light. You know, when it comes to spiritual maturity, if you're a, if you're a graph guy, you'll like this. Man... People in business, they love to see this right here, right? You've got your, two, your X and Y axis, and they love to see over time up and to the right. Boy, that looks great, doesn't it? You know, if, if we had our uh, spiritual maturity, so that's SM, and then we had time. So the more time we had, we just kept going up and up and up. Boy, that, that would be great. But you know what? our spiritual maturity looks like. And if you look at someone like Peter and what he went through, it's more like the stock market, isn't it? And maybe right now we'd be maybe way down there. But you have these peaks and valleys, don't you? It's not a straight line to the top. Spiritual maturity is a constant process and a constant adventure and it's not a one and done wave of God's magic wand boom God designed it that way in our life we will never escape the results of sin sin's influence is still here but we have escaped its power over us because of Jesus life and death And now, if you see this graph, I do want to let you know one thing. That although it's peaks and valleys, the Bible is clear that it still, over time, is up and to the right. We might go down and up, and down and up, and down and up, and down and up, and down and up. But the overall trend is becoming more spiritually mature over time. Because God says that when we hear his word, when we have the sacraments of holy communion and baptism, that he is making us more and more like Christ. He's clear about that. And I want to show you some verses that kind of explain this idea of growing and developing and what spiritual maturity really looks like Because you already put it down in your sheet what you think it looks like. Let's compare that to some of these verses. Let's look here in Ephesians. It says this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men, in their deceitful scheming. Do you see what our goal is? Our goal is to become a fully developed follower of Christ. Our goal is to continue to grow, isn't it? 
And look at what God tells us a spiritually mature person will grow into. We will no longer be infants. We'll no longer be so indecisive about what's the truth, really. It says we will be convicted of the truth. We will know what God really says about us and about him. And not only that, but we'll be able to point out people who have it wrong. We'll be able to point out those who are actually trying to deceive people and lead them into spiritual ruin. That sounds like someone who is constantly growing and solid in their relationship to Christ. And then positive results do follow. Now, it looks like our goal is pretty high, right? The fullness of Christ. That's, if you have Christ as your, your goal, that's aiming at perfection. God tells us to aim high. He tells us to aim at perfection. Even though we're not perfect, he tells us, aim at perfection. And you know why we can aim at perfection? It's because what we have to fall back on when we fail. What does it say at the beginning of these verses? The knowledge of the Son of God. None of that other spiritual maturity stuff even matters if you don't have that. The knowledge of the Son of God. So really, who cares? Who cares if there's no secret key to spiritual maturity? You have the key to eternal life, which is Jesus. Who cares if you're not completely spiritually mature? Who cares if you're imperfect? Jesus was perfect for you. And he gives you the credit. You might be in the lowest valley or on the highest mountain peak. But know this, the one who created every valley and made every mountain peak just by the whisper of his voice knows you by name and he will never abandon you nor forsake you. You might be in one of these valleys right now, spiritually speaking. I want you to know a couple things. Know that, first of all, God has gotten you out of the eternal valley of sin by sending us Jesus. And second of all, God gives us the Holy Spirit to get us out of our earthly spiritual valleys, our earthly spiritual funks, and he gives us the power to get out of our spiritual valleys. Some of you might be up here. You might be at a spiritual high point. Things might be going pretty well for you, spiritually speaking. Praise God that Jesus got you there by giving you the Holy Spirit. And know that without the Holy Spirit, you would forever be in this valley, and every good thing you would do would be like a filthy rag. But because you have the Holy Spirit, you can be on that mountain peak, and God is pleased. Pretty neat stuff, huh? One final section of verses I want to go through. And these verses that we're going to go through now, I really would love it if everyone memorized these. You know, it's a big chunk of verse, but if you want to see a, a biblical picture of spiritual maturity, what a good goal is, I want everyone to read these verses with me. Acts 2, 42 to 47. 
sorry, before that, I, I missed the filling. Spiritual maturity is based on knowing Jesus Christ. I think I made that clear. Based on knowing Jesus Christ. So let's read these verses together. Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Looks like an awesome environment, doesn't it? And I want to end by telling you that it is my privilege to be able to see a lot of this going on right here in this church. And because I am in charge of some of the teams, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I see on my teams. Every Sunday, you get here, and people are breaking bread and eating together, aren't we? By our Crosswalk Cafe. And sometimes we get to take the bread home with us, don't we? They, all that bread's there, and we get to take it home with us. Every Sunday, I do thank God for the teammates I have on the cafe team that make that happen. Because they have said it in their mind that their goal is to feed people's bodies with food and fellowship and to feed people's souls by the power of the Holy Spirit. And each Sunday, that's happening. Maybe if you were a first-time guest at some point, or maybe today, most likely you were greeted by someone with a smile and had their hand out. Did you know that we send out email surveys to our first-time guests? And we ask them, what's the first thing that you notice about Crosswalk? And you know that almost every single person says, is they said, you know, the people out front greeting me were, were really friendly. That is something that we see in here. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And that friendly environment that we have at Crosswalk our greeters lead the way. I've got some great people on my outreach team, my outreach leadership team. And you see that last verse it says in there about adding daily the number of those who were saved? That's our commander's intent, right guys? That's our mission. And my outreach team thinks about how can we do that? How can we add daily to those who are being saved? And I know in all the ministry teams, these things are happening, in all the growth groups. Not because we are such intellectually or emotionally or physically mature people. But the fact is, is that when the Holy Spirit is unleashed on a church, things happen that are more miraculous than even flames on the head or foreign languages being spoken from their lips. Transformed lives happen. People's hearts shift 180 degrees by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's happening here at Crosswalk because the Holy Spirit is here at Crosswalk. Because the Word of God 
is here at Crosswalk. So I want to let you know that don't try to look for some key. It's not some key that's making this church thrive. It's some amazing God that's making this church thrive. Let's take a look at our Live the Adventure in the Crosswalk. I changed it up a little bit instead of the next steps. Our motto is Live the Adventure, and I hope that you saw today that spiritual maturity is an adventure with those peaks and valleys. So how can we live the adventure in the Crosswalk? First, identify any false notions you have of what spiritual maturity is. Next, meditate on and memorize Ephesians 4, 13 to 14. And lastly, print out Acts 2, 42 to 47, and post it somewhere visible. This is the vision for Crosswalk. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, we thank you for the amazing true story that you've given us in the Bible. That although we created the problem, you provided a solution. You've given us all these amazing accounts to show us the rising action in the Bible. And it leads us up to the fact that your son lived an innocent life and died. Died an innocent death. And we thank you for that. And we know, Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit through your word to carry out the work that Jesus does and continues to do. Lord, let us be convinced that there is no secret key to our spiritual maturity, but that you will give it to us when we're in your word. Lord, when we're discouraged, point us to your cross. When we're too high on a mountain peak, point us to Jesus and let us know that he got us there. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.